Welcome everybody to Crushing Comics, where we are going to talk about This Week in X. This week we're talking about the two X-Men comics that were out on the 4th of November, and those two comics were X-Men number 14 and Marauders number 14. So we are going to be full spoilers in this talk, anything up to and including this week of X-Men uh, is fair game, so this is your fair warning. I am your host, Peter, also known throughout the internet as Crisis with a K, and I'm joined here with two of my favorite mutants from around the world, Tyler and Freya. Tyler, have you ever been to a party where you only knew like half the guests? What did you do about it? I am usually an introvert, so I sort of uh, turn, you know, I, I became, I recede. So basically, I, I stand at the side of, you know, near the wall, in a corner, and hopefully someone that I know or someone that I'm interested in will come and talk to me. So I have been trying to change that, but, um, you know, it's not the easiest thing. So you're a little bit of a wallflower, a slightly more obscure X-Men. Yeah, but not so pretty wallflower. More like a camouflage <laughs> wallflower. <laughs> uh, and so you, you don't like throw glasses of wine at people to see if they're right-handed or left-handed <laughs> no, or anything like that? I don't. That. No. <laughs> and then Freya, what is the most fantastical multi-course dinner or meal that you've ever been to? Have you ever gotten past the three standard courses? Yeah, so, and that actually happened in Italy, surprisingly, oh. because I went to... people. <laughs> yeah, your people. So when I went to visit Peter's people, um, <laughs> you know, in Italy, uh, I was, uh, I went to a restaurant which had a set, like, seven-course menu, oh, yeah. which mm -hmm. I, I mean, I am... I never been that fancy in my life, you know, that was like the, my peak fanciness and that was like, I was blown away that the fact that there's like seven different things, which, you know, I kept on joking, I'm like, these are all just one and my sister did not appreciate those jokes at all, but it was very delicious, I mean, I still remember like, you know, um, being impressed, so yeah, so that was my, that was my fanciest uh, meal ever. Not at a party, though. No. You know, that's that's something I'm still missing. You know, I really like in a really fancy meal, and Italians will do this sometimes, when they'll do palate cleansers in between the dishes, and sometimes they're like a little um, really light-flavored sorbet or something, because it's meant to be like a really yeah. clean, crisp flavor. I mean, in my family, that could be like a shot of, sh of Sambuca. But, um, <laughs> but if you're somewhere classy, sometimes <laughs> it's something like a little nice and sweet. To cleanse yeah. your palate in between, yeah. Or pick a ginger I, if you're having sushi. Yes, ginger, right. Exactly for that same purpose, just to wipe the other taste, just the same way that you do crackers at a wine tasting, right? Yeah. I do remember the dessert of that course uh, still to this day. Mm. Well, if you anyway. can't tell from Wait, those Wait, you, are you just keeping us in suspense? Oh, <laughs> I still remember it. Mm. And then not say, not so tell us anything about it. You got to fess up about the dessert. <laughs> No, it was actually, it was an ice cream. So, but the okay. thing is like, it was like done very, it was very beautifully done. Like, you know, and then it tasted so good. Like, it, I think it was so, like Italian, what is the, what is gelato. the Italian store? Gelato. gelato. Yeah. yeah, it was gelato. So it wasn't an ice cream, it was gelato, but it, it was like not heavy at all. And it was just like, so refreshing. I felt refreshed after that. So yeah, that was, that was it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, if you can't tell. From our extended intro riff here, we are talking about the dinner scene that was in Marauders this week, because there is not a whole lot to talk about from the X-Men issue this week. We'll get to that in a minute. So we're going to do our normal thing here. We're going to do first impressions first. Hopefully you won't hate us after that so much that you've already <laughs> shut off your listening device. And then we will continue to a, a lengthy dissection of both of these issues. So let's start with Freya, and then we'll talk to Tyler. What is your general impression, first impression, of the two issues this week? Uh, I think, like, I enjoyed the dinner scene a little bit better. Like, you know, it was kind of like some character moments and all that. But over, I have one thing that I am just so, like, angry about that I'm going to talk about it later. Uh, but the thing is, like, overall, X-Men left me feeling meh. You know, and... Pikmin. Is written by I Hickman. know, I know, I know. I'm How disappointed you, in myself. Korea. I'm disappointed yeah. in myself. What if this gets back to him? Yeah. 
I still love him. I still love you. <laughs> like, you know, if you're listening. Um, but the thing is, like, no. I mean, it was just like, okay, sure. And I'm, I'm very sure if I'm reading the whole thing in one go, this would make sense. I would understand why. I would even probably come back and read it. But you know, weekly, I, I was like, sure, okay moving on and then yeah and then the dinner scene happened which was fine but then there was also something else happened and i'm like Ooh. so it was like a lot of ups and down emotion we will get to all those meh and, and all of those wonderful reactions <laughs> from free in just a moment tyler did you share the meh and the uh from Freya? <laughs> well well when i when i read it the first time um x-men really wasn't like oh why are we having the entire, almost the entire issue being reprinted again with a framing device? Um, and then Marauders, I actually uh, like it quite a lot, except for one character's um, characterization. That was the first read through. So the second read through, um, I warmed up a little bit more to X-Men 14. And the characters um, that I thought was really off came off a little bit better because I think I might have misread one scene hmm. the first time when I read it. So overall, I think this is not the worst week of um, X of Swords, 10 of Swords, um, but it's definitely not... Um, I mean, it's sort of in the middle. It's not the high, it's not the high, high that, that three issues that we, we all three of us love that week. And um, it's not the very, very low week, which um, is, you know, I think uh, for me was unfortunately creations. Well, I, it's interesting. We are now in what version 3.0 or 4.0 of this history of Amenth and Araco right. and all of these three. Yeah. yeah. And I actually thought this was the most effective one if we were just reading it on its own. I think having the teller of it involved in it really kept me engaged as opposed to the other ones that were kind of told like by a third party to the point that I was like, is this me enjoying a Jonathan Hickman D&D &D <gasps> Dungeons Masters, you know, adventure book <laughs> issue? But then when I went back and looked at 12, because we'll get to it, but it repeats all of the art from the central portion mm -hmm. of 12, it kind of made me hate everything even more because I was like, what was the point of 12? It was like this reveal of Genesis was supposed to be such a big deal. I don't super care. And now I just feel like I had to read the same issue over again. I just, I don't, I don't think it had the impact it was supposed to. So then I kind of soured on it. I thought Marauders was dumb. I look forward to talking <laughs> to you both about it. I thought it was freaking stupid. Yeah. Well, I actually <laughs> went back and counted like scene by scene between X-Men 12 and X-Men 14. Yeah. Which is really just two months apart. Yeah. Right. And if you think about it. For after the panel. little bumper yeah. intro outro so, is panel for panel. So Asra did six pages of new art in 14. And there's like 14 pages of the art that is replicated exactly, which is, um, you know, uh, Yu's art. So, so we, we have like, you know, almost two thirds of the art that we have seen before. They could have thrown, at least thrown is, in some extra data pages to keep no, us no, no. Yeah, that, and, that, and, that is actually the most interesting part for me. And then to be honest, this is the same exact thing that was used in Hick Avenger in one of the issues of Hick Avenger where he repeats the pages. That yeah. was interesting because it was you were listening, seeing the same exact thing from a different person. The color didn't change, but for the first time, you see one character that you missed the last read through. Uh -huh. That was effective. That's interesting. This one, I'm like, well, who gives a f for any of this, people? Because the thing is, that I don't, and this is something I, I'm just, we talked about layering before, that it's just like you layer the story so it matters yeah. and you understand where everyone's coming from. I have not invested enough in Genesis, Araco, Emin, like Summoner, in these people to see the same exact thing from four different viewpoints for me to arrive at the <laughs> same conclusion. But guys, no, I will say I, though, between Karako and Arako, I'm team Arako because they have that one rule that says destroy our enemies. <laughs> I was like, yes. Rule number two. Yeah. Rule number yeah. destroy Freya our enemies. I am those kinds yeah. of things. I am well, I am you know, I would be in Brotherhood, right? And then I would also <laughs> be like team Arako. I'm like, yes, because I went back to see what's like, you know, mutant rule is like yes. oh no human. Over here's like destroy our I'm like, yes. 
<laughs> so that but, that really like hyped me up though. And oh, wow. a, apart from the, the 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 art that was repeated, right? There were seven caption boxes that were exactly the same. 22 caption boxes that convey exactly the same message told from, you know, one from a third person and one from the second per the first person perspective. And there were like interestingly 46 caption boxes that actually added information to the whole history. So, you know, take it for what you you want, you know, we we get like two thirds of repeat images, but we also get roughly about two thirds of new information in terms of new caption boxes that tells us something different. And and then because I no no because you know we I knew that there was all this repeat I wanted to do the same analysis but then I'm like no you know what Tyler will come with receipt so I'll wait for that so I'm glad <laughs> Tyler you you brought that out brought that up because I knew that the informations are not like it's not even like oh this history is even changing the history is not changing either well no <laughs> it's not changing but um the way it was told added more information even though the art did not show more information. Well, before, so it's we, before we dig into this too, too deep, because we're already like off to the races here. Yes. Let's just talk for just a moment about the idea, and these are Tyler's words and not mine in our notes here, repetition as a form of storytelling and as a literary device, right? There are many famous novels, movies that use this for comedic effect, for a dramatic effect, right? There's the whole kind of like Rashomon effect where you see the same events from many different um, viewpoints. My, my favorite movie of all time, Clue, which plays different endings to the yes. movie, even though you've seen the same events leading up to it. Or then there's also kind of like Groundhog's Day, right? Like living the same thing over and over and seeing what you could change. This, of course, is the most like the kind of Rashomon example because we're getting different perceptions on things. Hickman puts a little twist on it because it's kind of like everybody's progressively lying a little bit more or a little bit less, mm -hmm. which kind of goes with our theme that we've had for running for a while here about the idea of unreliable narrators, right? Like, how yeah. much can we trust anybody? We haven't really trusted Apocalypse. We haven't entirely trusted even Doug to translate Krakoa correctly. Why would we trust the people from Arco and Amenth and all of these places in Okoro to... Uh, to tell us a story accurately. But before we get into the story implications, was there a way this could have had more impact? Because it seems like all three of us are, were a little underwhelmed. Mm -hmm. What could it have done to make the storytelling device more effective? Anything? Publish the whole crossover in one go. Like seriously, publish the whole thing in one go. We're gonna read the whole thing and we're gonna go back and we're gonna understand the implication of it. Week to week, it doesn't work. It re it doesn't work. I mean, I for I'm so I forgot what happened in twelve. If I hadn't, if I didn't have the access to it, like you know, yeah. it really doesn't work. But the thing is, like, if it's all in one go, this repetition it works perfectly. Okay. Well, Tyler, I feel like and also think, make the make us care for the characters. Right. That I'll come yeah. back to that. Well, moment. that that's always an issue for Hickman's uh, characters. But I I feel like um having Ashra reinterpret the scenes, drawing it slightly differently, you know, from the viewpoint of Genesis would have helped a lot. Instead of oh, re, yeah. re re instead of just um reprinting exactly the same because that is a story that is told by Summoner. Right, so the, the the perspective is different. Whereas if you have someone else draw it, like Genesis says, you know, I gather um, an army and we went out and slaughtered. Why not show that scene? Why not show them fighting, you know, the Ameth uh, demons? Why not show even more scenes about her fighting uh, and defeating uh, Annihilation? You know, or show some shots of like who this um, uh, crosses, you know, crossbreeds are. You know, instead of just repeating everything, it, 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 I think it doesn't work for me, mainly because two thirds of the art is 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 a repeat. And we have seen it before, where it's like RB between RB Silva and Pepe Larraz, they did the re redrawing of each other's yes. work for Hawksbox. Yes. So I don't understand why it wasn't done here. And no they idea. did also repeat the whole scenes in Hawksbox. I believe, I think issue six yes. repeated scenes from Pirate Ship, but it worked because it, it expanded what we knew. Right, so right. I, I had really similar feelings to both of you here. So one, to Freya's point, um, 
I think it would have, gosh, actually, I forget which one of you made which, because I was just, like, doing so much nod, nodding as we went along. Um, but let's say it was Tavria's point. She can tell me if it was or it wasn't. I think if we had been given more time to care about this buildup mm-hmm. of his grief over being separated from Genesis and him not being the fittest, this could have hit harder. But because it was only two months, and because the only real experience we've had with, like, Apocalypse's grief has been really in creation and stasis. It just didn't feel like a big enough shift or change to be hearing the Genesis story. Now, it just doesn't feel earned to me at all. Mm -hmm. If we had gotten this issue, this summoner issue, way back when we had X-Men 2 a year ago, and we had been sitting with that information this whole time, and then we had been able to kind of experience Apocalypse's pathos this whole time and having lost Genesis, then I think we could have earned coming back to this issue a year later, right, from 2 to 14, and seeing these scenes, then it would have hit for me. So I think my first problem was I just don't care enough to make this reveal kind of hit. It's it's too mm-hmm. quick, and they haven't spent enough time making me care about the character. But then on the other side, to, to I think Tyler's point, is I'm actually down with the art being the same. I think there is something really interesting there, the shift from kind of the third person telling to the first person telling. I needed, though, to Tyler's point, for there to be one page by you where the perspective was different. You know, like one splash page or one thing where we could only see it through the eyes of Genesis. I realized that actually almost all of the panels are through the eyes of Genesis, which is like the secret of 12 that we can go back now and appreciate. Mm-hmm. And it does make some things in 12 hit differently. But mm-hmm. I just needed I needed one thing to break it up, not just to break up the monotony, but as like a narrative signal of like, this is important now. And I think without that, and especially because the paneling is so many kind of just three strips of panel per page, the rhythm kind of just wore me down by the end of the issue. Like I just was so checked out by the end. Mm-hmm. Now that said, we're going to talk, there were some interesting things and we're going to talk about them, but it, it just feels like there's a better way to land the blow when it comes to repetition as a form of storytelling. In my opinion, I was, I was like, you know, when you mentioned that, you know, apocalypse's grief mattering and stuff, I was seething with anger that Excalibur is was not about apocalypse like the whole of Excalibur should have been about apocalypse instead of some dumb Brits and their dumb sword and their dumb like whatever like you know if it was about apocalypse the whole 12 issue before the X of Swords about you know we getting bits and bits and pieces of who, who he is and all of that this would have been perfect but so no, we're not getting enough of a setup, basically. It felt like they held their cards so close to get to this point, like they wanted to. Yeah. They wanted to reach the point where they could show it here, but unfortunately, I think they were short shrift themselves a little bit on the apocalypse yeah. stuff. But let's. So that's enough of that, right? Either people agree with us or they don't. You know, yeah. we're we're only three readers, three very. Um, specific readers. Uh, but look, what? so what was new and interesting about this story? I'll go first with one, and then I would love to hear what you kind of took away that did. I mm-hmm. think the stuff about the white sword here was the most interesting stuff to me. We kind of got way more context about where these hundred other mutants went. We got way more context about him reviving them all the time and how they've kind of become their own faction. To me, it actually made his appearance last week in Stasis much more interesting, whereas before I barely even recalled he had been in X-Men 12. I thought he had actually been introduced in Stasis. I I don't know if you realized last week, but here I'm like, okay, this actually may be the most interesting character to me on the Iraqo side. Mm -hmm. So that was was new to me. uh, Tyler, what was kind of new information to you here? Well, I mean, um, there there were several stuff that I think are new. Mostly has to do with the second half of the story. Like, what happened? Well, okay, a few things. What was the conversation between Iska and uh, Genesis? Right, because that actually is presented very differently between very, 12 very and 14. Different. Yeah, yes. very, very Rashomon effect. Yeah. And then um, the other thing would be, like, what happened to the... Well, it was briefly touched upon that when they first enter uh, the land of Ameth, um, you know, some mutants went mad, and then we realized what happened to those so-called mad mutants. Um you know, they basically got captured and then used as breeding stock to crossbreed with the demons. And like I suspect orcs. No, but Lord I suspect I suspect those are <laughs> those are what they call Val, the Val people in in, yeah. in, in the data pages. 
And then um, the other thing is also they, the entire thing sort of recast the summoners as actually the, the, real, big, the real bad people here, I think. Instead of Ameth, instead of Arako, I think the summoner, um, uh, the summoners as a whole are the ones that are actually running this whole thing. Because there's one line which I think, um, which, which Genesis mentioned when she recounts a story. It says, this nation you help form. That is a lie. Because Apocalypse did not form Krakoa. Well, this I mean, from her perspective... Little, well, you know. but no, I'm not saying that Genesis is lying. I'm saying that she got information from Summoner who fed back to oh, them. Oh, and so he's kind of being a, he's, a pass he's between. Being, yeah, he's basically the one that's lying on both sides. Which would be very, a very Hickman device to have somebody yeah. kind of in the middle manipulating. So leave it to Tyler and his receipts. I almost had a theme song for you this week. Maybe next time. Um, <laughs> leave it to Tyler and his receipts to pull a little bit more intrigue out. Freya, was there anything here that specifically intrigued you in a, in a new or a different way than the last time we saw this story? Um, I think like, you know, now there's this whole idea that mutants means different things now. Because mm. all this era, we thought mutants come our evolution of Homo sapiens, and then they're in the world. But now it feels like there is more to them. They, there's like mutants from all the past. Question is, where are they evolving from then? Like, or what, what's, what's more their story? And then I also kind of found it intriguing that the whole hundred mutants being brought back again and again. And it was very like, you know, um, the Clone Wars of Star Wars. Like, you know, it's just like this clones being brought back again and again, and then they have their war, and they're like, F this, we're not doing this. So it's just like, I think it's like, it's an interesting story to be told. Like, you know, it just, it always happens that you create something to do your fight, but they rebel back because it's like, no, we have our own thoughts and feels about this. So it happened here again. So which is, I thought it was interesting. My one thing that was like, I never, like 2020 has been such a weird year for everyone, but I never thought in my life I'll see one issue where it opens with apocalypse, like hanging out under a tree, like a lovesick puppy. Like, it's like, mm, I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> that to me was brand new. It's like, I mean, who is this apocalypse? <laughs> like, I mean, mm. the relationship between Genesis and apocalypse is really toxic. I mean, um, Very it's one-sided, like Genesis, Genesis kept insulting him and kept putting him down. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't seem healthy at all to me. It's like it, I mean, okay, maybe they have a more you know um, sadist and masochist type of relationship. Oh, so, tell us more about that. <laughs> well, Tyler. I mean, one likes to give pain and one likes to receive pain. So you know what I mean. So this episodes in this always way. trend in this direction. <laughs> always go here. Uh, well, no, I mean, it re. oh gosh, I have so much to say. I want to put a pin in, in the vial and the, the kind of crossbred mutants. I think we got to come back to that. Yeah. Because that's important. But, but coming off of what you're both just talking about, Genesis and their toxic relationship, so interesting that in issue 12, when Summoner talks about what happens to Genesis after Iska summons her to the city, um, she's described as being buried the, you know, she they battled, and Genesis was found wanting, defeated, unfit, and buried. And buried with her was all hope for Arako. That's the caption over the tight shot of the golden mask. But that mm. is a totally different thing in the current issue. In the mm. current issue, the way that that plays out is we say, she says, I took her life, I took her head, and in doing so, I sacrificed my own. I did not know what victory meant. I did not know what it cost. Whoever defeats the helm claims the helm. Whoever wears the crown controls the land. And so she goes on to say that effectively she tried to resist. She didn't want to put on the helm um, and, and terrible things resulted. So that was not just a, an untruth. That was an outright lie by Summoner yep. in 12. She was never defeated or buried. But could you make the argument that whatever Genesis used to represent kind of died that day or died over the process of those 100 years. And this new version of Genesis has kind of been like um, ultimately corrupted by the crown, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like the, 
you know, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of another Lord of the Ring, right? It's like when men have possession of the ring, right? You can't help <laughs> but feel the greed and feel the evil. It's like, has the no. crown so fundamentally changed her that she's effectively gone, dead and gone? Well, she resisted I... for a hundred years. She did. Freya? Yeah. No, no, I, did, I, I was thought the same, though. I mean, I thought that that's why she's, like, she has no love for Apocalypse. And they've been, like, away from each other for how long? I'm always good. I'm always, like, you know, happy about... Yeah, I'm always happy about people moving on. Like, you know, thousands <laughs> of years. Hey, listen. She moved on. She had other things and stuff. But Apocalypse was just buried most of the time. Then he came. Then he ran after some mutants for some time. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they had, like, a different life experiences that put them apart. Um, I thought that you know that's kind of like what where they are. Yeah. I mean, it once again, it's hard to kind of talk about that. Is like whether their relationship is actually truly toxic or not if we haven't seen what normal was before. <laughs> right. You know? And, you know, I was talking about how I wish there was one scene the whole time. Even as I was reading it, I was like, please let there be another scene of when Genesis says goodbye to him and sends him through to Earth because it just felt like it was missing information the first time. And I was like, maybe that's what's going to break this up. Maybe maybe we're going to get a flashback to that or a, a view of that and we're going to hear Genesis's version of it because before we kind of saw her as this very strong person, but it was at a distance and we never got that. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I feel like if we got that, I would have, uh, I would under, I mean, you know, we can't play this game of like, how would I write this issue? Because like everybody would write every issue differently. <laughs> yeah. But I right. think we can talk about kind of like what was feeling like we were missing it at the time that made this not hit as hard. And for me, that's maybe one we'll, of those things. Maybe we'll get the sixth viewpoint of the oh, same yeah. maybe issue. We'll get it again. <laughs> and, no, we can only hope <laughs> And then we will have it again. Like it's like uh, it's, so, but but that the hundred years is actually quite interesting because that is where life night comes in. Moira's life yeah, night. Just about we, what I was gonna say. Yeah, because they that explains how Moira in life night could go into um presumably go into the other world and uh, Arako and save the the horsemen's and, and, and the Arako mutants. We are not sure what happened in Life Night between her and Genesis, but we knew that they came. Uh, the the four horsemen were on Apocalypse side. And when weren't they, they calling more Genesis? It's been a while um, since I've read Hawk. They Fox. call her the mother. Ah, uh, well. They, they call her Genesis. They call her something else. Um, it starts starts with A too. Um, yeah, it, it was very similar. Yeah. But well, I so I think I mean so many points in here because you know when we originally read Hoxpox last year, we thought it meant that he was getting the horsemen from space originally. Like it took us a while to realize yeah. that they weren't that they came kind of from within when we learned this later on. And a lot of people have been kind of toiling with this whole math of like how do the lives line up? Why could they do it? But I think you've got a great point. Like in Life 9, which was the apocalypse life, Moran Apocalypse went in during the 100 years. So they encountered something very different than what the X-Men are encountering now. And it kind of brings, again, the question, Mora has appeared in one final panel here, totally silently. To what yeah. extent did she know or premeditate this? She had to know what Apocalypse was going to be doing with the horsemen, but we haven't seen any hint of whether Mora is a, a communicating with Apocalypse or not. So that's a big question looming over us right now. Maybe and that's that why also... Apocalypse joined them. Maybe that's why Apocalypse joined them, because Moira promised that you get to correct this. Gosh, he got a lot oh, more. Blue Daddy got, got a lot more than Blue yeah. Mommy did. She doesn't have Destiny right. back yet, and Apocalypse <laughs> got a whole other world. Yeah. I mean, you know, you win some, you lose them. And no, but I mean, Moira has a reason why Destiny should, cannot come back. She threatened her. Like, I wouldn't bring Destiny back if she threatened me like that. It's like, I don't see Beyond Life 11 or something, whatever she said. Yeah. I'm like, you, stay put. I mean, that's why she, that's why Moira's not back. But the thing is like, I think like, who knows? Maybe that's what, that's what she, she told him. Like, hey, you get to come and fix this part of it. Who knows? No, but that also sort of speaks to when the turning point is. I think the turning point um, between Life 9 and Life 10 with with respects to Arako is when Summoner came to Earth because I think when he came to Earth and start the whole process of lying and bringing people over, I think that is when they you know, eventually broke through to Arako and... Um, and uh, Genesis wore the head, the the helm, the golden helm. Mm. 
So I don't think oh, we yeah, need to spend to be a, ton, a ton more on this. But I did say that I would put a pin in the, 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 vile. the vile people. So, uh, Tyler, you've got the receipts. What do you feel like we kind of really know and understand? And, and to be clear, the vile people are the mutants who were originally captured. They thought they were dead in the initial conflict. And it turns out that they've been part of this kind of like creepy eugenics program this entire time. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think they are the original mad mutants. They are probably a crossbreed between the mutants and the, uh, and the demons. So, um, and I feel like, you know, this is telling them that um, it is possible. I mean, it's, it's telling me two things. One thing is that the Araco mutants are not on Genesis and Amen's side. Hmm. Because they basically tried to uh, break free. But they are trapped because Arako is basically trapped in Otherworld, in Ameth, and the Ten Towers, part of it is broken and they have broken through. So um, the other thing is, does this, I mean, as above, so below, right? So does this mean that, you know, we will see something that might happen in Krakoa, that they get someone, um, you know, um, invade them from within and, you know, and, 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 and try to learn their secrets. Because um, we still have a mole on Krakoa. And that has been a running theme from uh, for X-Force. Mm -hmm. So there is still someone there feeding information to, um, I think, Russia. So, 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 so there is something happening there which we, are, we have not resolved yet. But I mean, it's not going to be exactly the same. But you know, this is what I was thinking of uh, when I read through the whole thing. Well, the final comment I want to put on it is from the final scene, which is one of the few original scenes in this issue. You know, Apocalypse is saying you're not going to come for our land and our children or whatever. And Genesis <laughs> said it was made with soft hands and raised on a soft earth. <laughs> which is funny to me, not only because of the shade that it casts upon all of our X-Men, our soft, soft X-Men. Yeah. But... <laughs> Because of how it leads into Marauders 14, because now we're starting to see the X-Men bumping up against these Araco mutants. And, you know, I mean, we've got a soft boy like Doug Ramsey. He's soft. Yeah. But, you know, we have some very battle-hardened X-Men here. We have Magic, we have Gorgon, we have Wolverine. And it's one of those kind of stake-setting things you do where you call them soft and then you show them in a social setting where the, where the opposite side doesn't even understand kind of social niceties yeah. to kind of hammer home that these battle-hardened X-Men are soft, right? So it was kind of struck me as a really effective rhetorical device to kind of set it up and then let Dugan and Percy knock down the pins yeah. in, in Marauders. Before, but, before, but... before we jump yeah. to Marauders, can I say something first? All right, look, um, final closing mar closing shot. No, no. Um, I think we, 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 we sort of need to talk a little bit about the last prophecy of Idol. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. The, 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 um, the prophet... Right, it's who, on the final who, data page. Da the very Idol, final daughter data of page. Idol, son of Idol. Yeah. Seeker, so basically, I think it's just a history. It's just a line of uh, prophets right. named Idol, and okay, two things. <laughs> when 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 they first shown Idol, they shown him. Well, it's a her now. Now that we know it's a her, right. um, with a snake around his neck, and it actually reminds me of Maggot. And Wouldn't that be great if Maggot had been the prophet of the X-Men no. all along? Just like, yeah. guys! Guys! No. But Maggot has two Maggots as intestines. And this uh, one oh, has Korea, a snake... You have so much great X-Men This one has a snake coming from between her legs. Uh. So initially, when I thought this is a mere character, I was like, uh... Okay, but that's... I mean... We'll that, set aside, that on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Um the 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 last uh prophecy, which is it says they un only under the black moon will the two become one, and the white light will judge them, and a red land will see them split forever. Like, who do you think they're talking about? Like is you it... said, take it as how you see it. No, but is it Genesis or Apocalypse? <laughs> or are we talking about Arako and Krakoa? I thought it was Arako and Krakoa. That's how I felt. I felt like it was a it was the because the lands are sentient, like it's the fight between them. 
But talking about, like, I just want to mention about the soft people raising soft children. Uh, you know, because Peter mentioned that some of the some of the hardened mutants are there in the next murder. But however, those hardened mutants were not raised by Professor X. You know, they were hardened because they have of not Upsang. endured the emotional, psychological abuse. <laughs> of being the manipulation and gaslighting of being raised by <laughs> Professor X. So they Yeah, are. that's true. Yeah, they they're they're hardened by other factors. But the thing is like, you know, <laughs> like to be honest, like yeah, like our Krakow and their soft rules of like kill no humans. Like screw that. Like destroy our enemies. It doesn't even say who the enemies are. It just said destroy our enemies. I love that line so much because it's like <laughs> you don't know who you are. If you are just their enemies, they will destroy you. <laughs> they don't like. I just loved it. But yeah, but it like that. That line made me laugh so much about like soft people. <laughs> I mean, I know we. We laughed about make more mutants because we think that all the mutants are horny. But in Arako's Arako's sense, right, it actually takes on a whole new meaning because yeah. because they have to survive. Yeah. So they got like, to make it, more mutants. And sort of this idea of like survive by many any means necessary, like to turn mutants not into an invasive species per se, but to kind of be like do do anything to preserve and to to escalate, right? Which is, yeah. we, we were kind of all tittering in a corner about the implications of the Krakoa one, but this is the, this is kind of the real world stakes. But it kind of goes with the whole soft implication, right? Which is like, that's something you say to people who, who've been raised to want something better, almost, right? Like, you don't want to, is the goal to raise each successive generation in war? Isn't eventually the goal of war to have conquered or defended all of those things that you meant to conquer mm -hmm. and defend and eventually raise a soft generation. And so it's just really struck me, you know, especially in light of a lot of other things in the world as this almost generational divide that you have this older generation, which we'll call it a Rocco generation being like, you don't know what it is to live tough, harden up. Ah! And then you, right. And then you have the, the Krakoa generation being like, you should want more than, than that for your children. I'm not going to ask my children to harden up and have a life worse than the life they should have, which I think is but a really interesting comment. No, and it is, but the thing is like, it's also because have Krakoan people aren't it yet. Because I feel like there's still so much fight they need to do before they can get into that soft space. Yeah, they're not even all the way soft, just softer than <laughs> And all, my final comment on the prophecy is soft that space. I always, every time, whenever we talk about To Become One, are th am thinking about the iconic Spice Girl song, To Become One from 1996, and that's the only thought that I have. It on. Okay, now we're moving on to Marauders. Yes, now we're moving to Marauders. So I think... I. Yeah. So there's a lot of little moments in here. They really they do are. try to let us spend a second with every swords person, which is really the first time that we've done that aside from creation stasis. So I can appreciate yeah. it for that. And we get a few specific horse people um, horse combos. People. <laughs> so I'm just going to run through the combos as outlined by Tyler. Uh, and I'm telling you now we're saving storm and death towards later. Cause that's probably the most interesting one. So we get soft boy, Doug, and Bay of the Blood Moon. Um, yeah. This is probably the most basic level comedic interaction out of all yeah. of them. Freya, well, what I did mean, you... Well, Tyler, go first. What did you think I, about I, that? I mean, I jump, I'm jumping in here because, you know... Doug, it's your list. I, I, feel, I feel a lot for Doug because that would be how I would react in With a party. With his leg up against the wall and like, be, in his uh, drink. Yeah, I'll be yeah. just like... And trying to enjoy my food and drinks... And then, like, this giant, athletic, beautiful um, warrior woman would come in and say, don't look at me. And I'd be like, okay. I just, I have to talk about Caselli's. I mean, Caselli's one of my favorite Marvel artists, so I always perk up when I see him on an art rotation. And there's a couple of panels here where he just does some really cool stuff with body language and with facial acting. And we go from that panel of Doug kind of folded on himself, drinking his drink in the corner, just saying, hey, to, to Bay looming over him. And there's so many things happening. The the drink is splashing out of his cup. His shoulder, his um, shoulders have come up a little to feel a little defensive. He's he's trying to hold in his drink without spitting it out, sort of for a little bit. Like there's 
that's so thoughtful. And I can just picture Caselli like in a mirror making the face to decide how he's going to, because it's so specific, right? It's not just like a general eyes wide shock face. It's like, there's yeah. so many specific anatomical things going on with the jaw and the eyes and the brows and the shoulders that I could just picture him with a mirror yeah. in front of him drawing it. And I, and like, that's why I love his art. And you can sort of like feel like he's trying to sink back into the wall. He's like, please, please just take me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And I think, like, from that reason that it's this scene works so well, because, you know, he's not a not-talented person, right? Like, I mean, Doug is, like, he's a linguist. Like, he knows all the languages. He can create languages. It's, like, it's such a powerful... He is such a powerful mutant, but in this room, he just wants to be one with the wall because it's, like, <laughs> this is not my scene. Like, I'm, like... I think I'm like the queen of not my scene because there's so many things I've tried in my life and I'm like, not my scene. And <laughs> this is like, you know, I, I, I connected with him from that level. Like, yes, like if I were in a party, I would try to mingle. I would be magic, you know, just I'll find one person that I know. And then two, two of us would be doing people watch. Um, but the thing is like, he like I, I at least understood that this is not where he fitted and then how he was reacting to that it's like the most realistic thing ever <laughs> put well, to in a superhero comic yeah. and um, and i'm also in the camp where i thought the card that doug received last issue in stasis that the other woman is the other person is is, is bay so i'm kind of like hoping that intrigued. this would develop slightly more yeah oh so I have to roll on to Pogger Pog and magic here, and I gotta. I'll just absorb all the hate now. I'll be the lightning rod. <laughs> I hate this whole Pogger Pog. He's a big funny dinosaur. It's stupid. Now look, if these were <laughs> comics that children conceivably were reading. I have a huge allowance to make for silly, funny, whimsical things, and even in comics for adults, but we've, we're in this middle of this Dungeons & Dragons source book, Lord of the Rings shenanigans, and we're trying to pull comedy with this giant mercenary alligator being like Lobo, and it just does not work for me. I know Twitter loves him, I know everybody's making jokes, but I passionately, seethingly hate him. And then to pull magic into it, who can be funny, but funny in this very, like, I don't quite understand human behavior way. But here she's just, like, cracking jokes. And it just, at this point, I gave up on the issue. I'm like, I don't care what else happens. Everything from here out, this is a zero. I hate it. I'm done. So please talk me off the ledge if you would like. But I'm just trying to let you know where my mind is before we get any deeper into this issue. Am I totally off base here? Do you enjoy Pogger Pog? Do you Pog Pogger Pog? <laughs> well, I don't I don't necessarily enjoy the name because I feel like it's like very annoying name, but that whole magic a magic <laughs> wind and own it for me. I was like, yes, that is why his name is Pogger Pog. Because I'm pretty sure Dugan said that I want to make that make that uh joke, so please name him. To be honest, there's always a whimsical character in a in a group. I would rather this whimsical character in the other side, so we probably hopefully never have to see this per character again, versus <laughs> on our side. At least like, he's disposable. You know, Exactly, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's the first one that's gonna go. Like you You're know, get it's a just lot of hate. <laughs> oh, whatever. Like you know, but I I just feel like that's like a first character that's probably gonna go, and that's like it's like a throwing character that they're not wasting yeah. too much time on it. And mm -hmm. I feel like it just I it it doesn't change anything for me. There's other things I don't like or care about for me to even waste any amount of energy on this. On this character, but the thing well, is, like, just... the magic, magic up, uh, magic. Mm, I loved it. I loved that. <laughs> and magic trying to trying to eat the cut because Pog was like Pog was eating the cut. I know it's silly, but it's kind of funny. But like, it's you know, like, oh, this is not edible. Yeah. <laughs> like, but but all this all this talk about how Pog is soft inside, I just can't. I just imagine a scene. When the fight starts and Magic just like throw a teleporting disc and then the next thing you see, she slices up, slice him up from inside him. Yeah, or something like that. He's yeah, gone. or like Wolverine jumps in his mouth or something. I don't know. Or like, something. I think the moment where they really lost me is when she made the joke about medieval times because I almost like was like, oh. okay, let's go back to Claremont and see if Cl yeah. Magic ever went to medieval times for dinner because if not... 
I don't. That was is... the part which I was like, um. Which was which I was that no again? Which was that again? She just makes a joke about medieval times being a nicer restaurant than this restaurant, which doesn't even really land because this is actually really cool. It's like a table in the middle of a pond in the middle of a... Yeah. Like, it just didn't make any sense. To, to that point, why didn't they say that it's better than Russia or something? She's Russian. I know. Russia doesn't was... have, like, good restaurants, like, <laughs> <What>? I think. <laughs> but, here's, here's, but here's my thing. I feel like sometimes X-Books lately can get into this mode where it gets almost like the panels feel like they're meant to be excerpted on social media for giggles. And I hate to be the old curmudgeon, even though I know I am the old curmudgeon, but it's like not good comics. And this is usually my dispute when Leah Williams gets like a little too kooky, where I'm like, it's just all Twitter jokes. Like, where is the plot? And I feel like Dugan plus Percy, for some reason, have gone over to to this like goofy jokes. I promise I'll stop after this. But it just took me out of the issue too many times, especially with the pog. Where are we going to fight him? What are we going to do? But like, he doesn't actually come off as threatening at all. Like his whole pogness has been a joke. So the whole thing about like how fearsome he is just never it just never really landed for me i don't know i'm done now I'm, i promise mm-hmm. but that's i do I think that arago picked him just to get people on the like oh what is his deal so they are focusing on him when their other other players are much more dangerous and not enough time is spent on them quite frankly like, it could be the case yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's one of the reasons he's chosen the same why dog is chosen and then no i'm sorry Sorry about that. Yeah. So let's, you know, before we move on here, there is one interesting scene in the middle that's not between a Krakoan and another sword bearer, but between the Krakoa party, which is Wolverine, Captain Brit, or Brian Braddock. And Betsy, the 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 collective Captain Britons. Brian um, the human. Brian the human. Brian the human. And Wolverine's whole point here is like are you really gonna risk two worlds just based on your marriage vows to vegan megan why don't you just go and boink saturnine and am i am i accurately depicting wolverine's position in this conversation so the, the yeah i mean the the hatred that you felt towards like you know pog or pog and magic and everything i felt the same exact hatred for all of wolverine in this these in this episode in this issue like I was so, we can skip ahead a little bit, but the thing is like the fact, if I have to watch one more time Wolverine murder a woman, like I'm going to, I'm going to kill someone. Like I am going to murder someone that I just cannot handle that anymore. Like it's like a thing that happened once so many times and now they just keep on repeating it. In this whole hoxbox, we've seen it like now third time that he have done it. Why? And then what is this, like, I don't, I read a lot of Wolverine, and I don't know if Wolverine will be talking like this, or having these kind of ideas, I don't know, I don't know where this is coming from, maybe I haven't read enough, like, I was like, really, like, no, he, why? Well, I think it made him out to be, like, way more stupid than he actually is, because, exactly. like, oh. I, I kind of can get with his whole, like, why, let me put it this way. If the riff with Brian had been more about, like, why are we not taking a more diplomatic tack? Like, I like pop and claws mm-hmm. as much as anybody, but aren't there yeah. other paths? I think it would have read better. But then to have him then effectively just be like, well, I guess I'm going to pop claws. As if stabbing Saturnine in the stomach is going to make one difference in the... It just, like, it, it ruined an already bad issue for me. Yeah. Yeah. The, no, I was... That, that, I was, that was... No, go ahead. Sorry. No, Tyler, you go ahead. You no, I was just saying that that was exactly my thought the first time I read read through the thing. And then the second time I read through it, I was looking at the panel where um, Wall was, you know, trying to poison Wolverine. And I'm thinking, is Wall trying to poison Wolverine by putting something in his food, knowing that Wolverine can regenerate? Or is Wall casting a spell on Wolverine by pulling something on him? Yeah, I and, did spend a while staring at that panel trying to decide. If you ha- if you didn't notice it, dear listeners, um, there's a panel where you can see War kind of fidgeting under the line of the table with a bottle, and the, there's, like, little action marks around it. And then in the next panel, she's tipping it into his food. So, like... But then we don't really see him eat any food, so, like, are we supposed, yeah. to, and are we supposed the, to think that... That's what my... That, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. He didn't so, eat no, any but, Yes, correct. But that's the thing. Like, is he... Is war is she 
sprinkling it on the food or sprinkling it on Wolverine himself. Oh, who knows? It was it was badly communicated either way. It, yeah. No, but the thing is, like, either way, he should not be this undone. He no, cannot. Make it... No, no, no. What I'm trying to get at is that this Wolverine at the very last act is very warlike. Is he under the spell of war at a at a point in time? Mm-hmm. And that and that that wasn't his plan all along. Like and that kind because of gels he... with the conversation with Storm because I yeah, don't think Storm would say would say no. Go ahead, you know I will not stop you if he if she knew that Wolverine is going to stab Statue Nine. Mm. Well, so maybe... that reads better for me the second time because then there's this question mark of whether is this really Wolverine but the thing my only problem is it's like now is not the time to say that oh go bang that check and then so that we don't have to fight like that's one of the reason I was like so annoyed I'm like really you didn't say that all the 48 hours you guys were standing around that time this conversation didn't came up you just made eye contact with each other and what the hell kind of like even like thought process is that for Wolverine? I thought that he would be smarter than this. This is like a dumb thing that Beak would say. Beak would say that. Like, you know, that we should (laughs) stop the war by doing this, like, nonsensical act, which had nothing to do with it. And then that actually got me all confused because, honestly, my, my memory is not very good for when I'm reading week to week like this. What was the point we started this fight again? Because then I actually got confused. I was like, wait, why is the fight again? No, I'm, I'm genuinely asking now. Because no, I mean, how did yeah. Wolverine came to this conclusion? If you exactly. bang one out, the war would be over. Like, this is not going to happen. No, well, exactly. And it just takes this perspective, which is an, a credible perspective for characters in, to have right now, which is that Saturnine's prevailing over all of this. And so if Saturnine wasn't prevailing over all of it, would it have the same rules, right? Like, yes, the resurrections would still be messed up. Yes, they would still have to fight Iraqo. But like if she was dead or disposed of briefly, would the magic binding them to the ten swords and one must fall from, you know, would that all still be in effect? Or, would, or, or could they just have a knockdown drag? out fight which maybe is a little bit more of what Wolverine would prefer and like this is me like trying to rationalize it a little bit so like I kind of get it but I still think it was I I really think you know Percy co-wrote this issue and he is the current writer of Wolverine and he's written some good Wolverine both in Mm -hmm. the ish in his series and as Free has pointed out in the podcast right Percy wrote yeah yes so like maybe there's just something we're not fully understanding about Wolverine here and and I'm, I'm willing to say that uh, but and we do have another Wolverine issue coming not next week but oh no next week so maybe all of these questions yeah. will be answered but in the scope of this issue clearly we felt some discomfort now let's go to one that was a little bit more fun and then we'll end on the marquee matchup of Storm and Death we have Magic and Gorgon Gorgon who we have not spent a ton of time with in all of the docs so far and they're basically casing up all of the competition. They're scoping them out. They're looking them up and down. Yeah. They're trying to understand which side they favor and what the tactical advantages might be. And they just cannot get a read on Iska, which turns into this very kind of slapstick, almost like a very goofball thing of them trying to get her to pick stuff that they're dropping. It feels like a very sitcom setup. But because... It's a setup of Magic and Gorgon who are usually quite grim and are having this very grim conversation. Mm-hmm. This one landed better for me than the, than the Magic comedy earlier because there was actually like a punchline structure to the joke. I don't know. Did no. you enjoy Magic and Gorgon kind of circling Iska here? No, no, but not only that, it's like I didn't even look at it as a comedy, but mostly as like Magic doing her war- job as a captain. Right. Like, you know, it did feel like she Gorgon was like, is also a captain. Yeah, they're both captains. Yeah. Yeah, oh, sorry. They're both, they're captains. both captains. Yeah, yeah. So as captains, they're figuring out while one of their warrior is like trying to become one with the wall and the other one is trying to get uh, <laughs> two of the other one hooked, hooked up and then get them to like, they're actually doing work and they're actually doing what's the purpose 
what I think Saturdyne had this dining session about. So you get to know your opponent and they're the only one who's actually doing it. And I thought it was done very well. Like it's I like, agree. yeah, like I enjoyed the, it. Yeah. Like I left, agree. left arm, right, right. And then also like, like ooh, I didn't see that coming. I was like, yeah, okay. Like that, that <laughs> actually worked. Right? To be honest, that's the, like, this is like the same when they, there was the whole thing they said about like you know the ten sword and the, the I'm like there's going to be a dinner scene. Hunger Games has it. Lord of the Rings has it. Every one of them has it. Like there's this always this one calm before the storm a dinner scene like that and this was this. So from that point of view, I think it worked really well. But I want to tack back to X Men fourteen for one final comment on the scene. The new read that we get on Iska and her power to be unbeaten, as we see Genesis's retelling of Iska, is almost that like Iska had to depart because she knew she always has to win, and that's her curse. And so she kind of like had to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so there's the, almost this idea that um, so she says, "Do you remember my sweet sister Iska? Her mutant power was that she could not lose, and how I wept when it drove her to join a month in the war against Okara. So you can imagine the joy I felt seeing her there when she returned, right? So I, I just thought that was interesting in combination of this, where you know they have them scoping her out, but this is a thing that Iska herself does because she, for whatever reason, can't commit herself to the losing side. If yeah. in some way Gorgon and Magic show that they've outmaneuvered her." she will actually not fight because she has to win. The mutant power works both ways. If she can't win, I don't think she can fight. Hmm. Uh, so I'm very confused by her power. What is this power? I... <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this power? I mean, and can, well... we, can we have her run for president then? Because she cannot <laughs> lose. Like, you know, I, I... whichever political what... party you're in. But, you know, she cannot lose. But, because is, it, it's but like, is it more like she can sense if she's going to... Like, she is it more that she yeah. can always pick the right side, almost, you know? So, you don't know the function of it yet. To that point, I was thinking about it. Why on earth Domino is not on the team? Yes. Like, no, but that's what like, we discussed last week. We have Brian week. the human and then not Domino. Like, that's like, what we discussed last, last week. But, I mean, when, I, when she first appeared in X-Men... 12, I, I did have the question mark. What does the power of cannot lose mean? I, I mean, and then I was thinking about it. I said, maybe it's a combination of uh, probability changing as well as a precog. So she has a limited precognitive um, ability so that she knows which which one to choose. And then by choosing one side, she also had, has this probability lack power that always makes them win. And so that's supported by the panel in, in X-Men 12, subtly different than the one from 14. Her mutant yeah. power was that she could not lose. It was her power that forced her, not drove her, to join Amenth in the war against Okara. Understand? She had to. They were going to win, and she cannot lose. Yeah. So what happens if she loses? Like, she bursts into flame? She just dies? Like, I, 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 I don't get it. We're going to find out in one of the next yeah, weeks. Yeah, we're going to find out. <laughs> No, but like, that's, you know, that's like, the thing. So, 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 so the fact that she she's on Arako's side, it just means that Krako is going to lose. I mean, that's that's how I'm reading it. Reading sure. it. But I think she's just going to defect again. Anyway, okay. So now yeah. we're to the marquee, <laughs> the cover battle. Except for it's not a battle; it's a tango, it's and yep. it's. Storm. Oh, I love that. By the way, I, I love that cover. Great really cover. Really and it's really that. fun if you've ever seen people tango where, like, they really do hit those angles with their body. Darterman exaggerates it a little bit for the cover, but, like, <laughs> do, people really do get in those low, they do. Uh, mm. you know, leg out. So, Storm and Death. At the beginning, we have Storm and, and War and Death kind of all casing each other up, and Storm puts a flower in Death's little, <laughs> little dog ears, and then they go on this underwater dance, and Death is like, well, you've never been kissed by death before and and for a minute it seems like we're gonna get a riff on like storm being one of the few x-men who have never properly died although she has an x-men 225 but i guess we're not counting that mm -hmm. um and then storm comes back with like i've had many little deaths you know yeah. you i know death way better even than you do and i just thought like if th this is the level of nuance i'm looking for out of storm generally 
And I think that they're really playing with this tension that Storm seems like the one who's going to have to lose in an intriguing way. And not for nothing, but Black Panther, her husband, estranged or otherwise, is also a lord of over death and the afterlife, which doesn't really come up here, but I just couldn't help but feel the implication, especially she's like holding hands with this dog-headed mutant, but think about her husband, the Black Panther. It just, you, you, I couldn't help but draw parallels. I don't know. What'd you think, Maria? You're, you, you, what are your opinions here? No, I mean, I thought that, you know, when she said, she was saying that, you know, losing dad or like, what, what is the, what is the word you said? Like, you know, you just said it. Um, like I have faced death many times or. I've been dancing with you my entire life. Right. So dancing, like I, I felt like, you know, I, I was kind of looking at it both ways. Like one is like the Black Panther implication of it. Like, you know, that her dancing with him all the time. Why aren't they together all the time? They're a perfect couple. But, you know, but the thing is that on the side of it, I was also thinking that, you know, are she talking about death of her many identities of storm like you know right. that yeah. we talked about it before that you know she is like every time she moves on to a different uh personal not personality but different right. uh, role uh different role whether she's talking about that she's burying the past one and then how that kind of like you know works for her but i was also thinking i'm like whoa storm never died like she was always around like you know so maybe that's also, and then all, not to mention giant size X-Men, um, like in the storm, she came to very close to death very recently, right? So maybe that's on her mind as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I think thought, that's a great point. And mm -hmm. I thought that, you know, from that point of view that it was, I, this and Magic and Gargan, like, you know, interaction and Ramsey's interaction, like, you know, made the issue far more bearable, yeah. even with all the negatives <laughs> of like, Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah. No, I mean, Storm also has a history of, like, always attracting people of power. Like, mm. you know, Dracula, Doom, Loki. Mm. And it's just it's just interesting. They're all obsessed with her. Always. And, you know, in the whole group of X-Men, it's always Storm. Oh, is there, like, a Loki and Storm issues? I would like to read those. Oh, yeah. We'll, yes. we'll get uh, there. Okay. We'll get there. I mean, okay. Storm, Storm and Doom is actually a, a pretty iconic one as well, but... Gosh, it just made me just have a... I'm not one of these, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, shippers. Like, the movies will get here when they get here. But I, yeah. you you guys talking just made me have this moment. It's like, oh, I can't wait till we get Storm on screen having these kind of, you the know... The real song. Yeah, like, don't make her a teenager. Oh, Let yeah. her be a goddess. Yeah. Like, we need we need full <laughs> goddess Storm. We need that, yeah. yeah. So... I, I want Issa... I'm forgetting her last name. Issa... Um, Issa Rae she, from... Uh, oh, what is the name of that darn show? I know, I know who you mean. She's, yeah. yeah, like I want her to play a role. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just like it's, she has like the whole thing, like you know the chin and everything. It's just like she's. I think she would be really perfect. So we've covered all the character interactions, and and you know I'm coming down hard in this issue, but at least we got everybody in one issue. Even Cable has a couple funny moments in the background. Yeah. <laughs> but there is one data page, which is Mad Jim Jasper's mostly giving notes to people who put the dinner together and giving mm -hmm. his own notes on like the various people. Uh, that are coming with the swords here and how you'd yeah. like to rescue some things from Earth. But he ends on a very interesting sentiment. He says, if Krakoa survives this tournament, and my odds on that have dropped precipitously after sizing up their stock, but if they do, their young island nation will doubtless go from strength to strength with, I'm sure, planet-sized size repercussions. Freya, thoughts on that? And then we'll let Tyler wrap it up. Sure. <laughs> like, okay. Okay, sure. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know. We have been reading Marvel our entire lives. So we know that what these words mean, ultimately nothing, because something will happen, the next writer will come, and they're going to bring it back to, you know, whatever. Like, okay. Like, you know, sure. I mean, is it saying that, oh, not Namor's going to come? I mean, that's you know, the only. If, that? if you're saying Namor's gonna arrive, then Freya is in. And then I'm yeah. interested. If the, if the ending then... page had been Namor bursting through the wall like Kool Aid Man, we would have started this episode with Freya being like, "Yes, yeah, exactly." <laughs> we know that. So maybe I don't know. Sure, whatever. It's like it just sounds like an editor writing it. It did. Really... It did sound like an editor writing. It. All right, yeah. Tyler. Well, I mean, first thing first, we have been wondering whether this Jim, Jim, this Matt Jim Jasper 
is from our world, and this confirms that. Yes, I do agree. Because yeah, because he says you know from my old home, and he talks about return to politics because. His first appearance—I mean, not his first appearance, but his early appearance—he's the prime minister of yes, UK, yes. and here is also referenced because he says that at number ten, which refers to Ten Downing Street, mm-hmm. which is the official residence of the prime minister of UK. And sorry, I—I I did a lot of uh, googling for this. <laughs> and then you know they talk about, yeah, and then they talk about nostalgic, and then what actually look into it and. And it's, it turns out that there's one story in Marvel UK, which is called Jasper's uh, Warp, mm-hmm. which is also named Crooked World. And that was kind of interesting. But he died at the end, destroyed by a furry. And, um, but then, you know, for some unknown reason, he later appeared as a prosecutor in Magneto's trial. So um, I don't know whether this is the original him reconstituted or he's a clone um, or whatever. So, yeah. But, you know, talking about the strength to strength with planet size repercussions, I mean, in Hotspox, we know that this is going to go way bigger than just Krakoa and Earth. So that kind of doesn't surprise me. So, you know, I mean, I I don't see it as um, something very um, new or meaningful because you know in my in my mind i think that is happening so Hmm. there was one other data page thing that we skipped in uh x-men 14 the mention of mention of abyssal prisons but we would need zach back from the resurrection protocols because i think he might be the only one who cares of the four of us uh so (laughs) but if you were to go back and watch x-men report you would you would note you would notice that this was a, a zach prophecy coming to bear fruit here so yeah. i think uh if if i can i don't even know if we need the final go round this week i think there was no. a couple of interesting character interactions but i feel like we are 13 chapters in and i'm ready for the story to start start i'm saying that i'm ready to i'm ready for the story to be over like please make it because i was actually thinking about it last time in hotspox when we talked about it we were so sure that the first um event would involve namor and i was thinking about that i'm like my man hasn't arrived yet i don't know or maybe now that you know storm pissed off black panther maybe he will arrive now but no but he's involved with emma he's always infatuated with emma that's well, why maybe he also loves Saturday. He's, he does it. Yeah, he's in. He, yeah, true. he's like Sue Storm, like Emma, like any blog. Oh, should I tie my hair then, guys? I'm just saying. <laughs> but the thing is, that we, we're talking about that. It's like that would be more. I this I I really wish this was more about building Krakoa rather than like you know defending it from some other things. And I just I'm I'm missing Quiet Council. I'm missing the island. I'm missing like you know Kate. Like I'm missing all of that. And here we are having to judging through this. I want this to be over. Well, you'll uh, all be happy to be reminded that <laughs> the next three weeks holds for us. It's actually misstated that we're. Just, five more weeks it's, or four more weeks it's three more weeks holds nine more issues so Thank we're going to get a lot of story in the yeah. next three weeks and maybe at some point the crossover will actually begin because it hasn't begun for me yet <laughs> so that has been this week in x uh talking about x-men 14 and marauders 14 please continue to join us for episodes both about this week in x and other x-men and assorted comics topics as we're here crushing on comics together as crushing comics tyler and freya thank you so much for joining me from all around the world today thanks everyone take care and we'll be with you again soon bye Bye.